Let me tell you a story, podcast number 128. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago, the age of never mind it is a how long it You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, I'm Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Today, thanks to the craziness of 2020, we're able to catch our guest between countries. Marie has studied and worked with a charity organization in Asia and is now headed to a far different country to do similar work. Of course, that depends on open borders and available transportation. Welcome, Marie, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'll ask the first question. Where did all this begin? What sparked your interest in helping people in other lands? That is quite a question. Uh, So... I actually never wanted to like go outside of the country. Actually, I'm pretty much a homebody, pretty introverted, and for a long time I was even picky about my food, <laughs> so I didn't want to venture outside. But I went to college and I had the opportunity to go to a conference where I learned about work in other countries, uh, global outreach work to help people in learning about Christ and also ministering to them holistically, which is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And that was something that I just felt really struck by. Now looking back at my life, I would say that God had definitely been leading me towards that. Like my earliest memory of like going to church sitting down there was a global worker there and they were telling their story and I must have been about like 10 at the time and I just remember thinking to myself oh my goodness this person is talking a lot I would never want to do this like what they do (laughs) it's so funny looking back at it now uh, because in my mind I was like they're kind of not a very good speaker and like it's not that the topic was boring but I was 10 years old and I'd been sitting in you know a pew for like an hour and a half, and it's like, goodness gracious. Well, this person told a story about how there was a group of refugees, uh, and I don't remember the country. Uh, I wish I could remember all the details, but they had gathered into like a place in the wilderness, and they had radioed for help, and I think it told the story over a two-week period, and it would be like, this is day this, and there's a hundred and some odd people, and we're running out of food and supplies and medical supplies. If anybody can hear us, would you please help us? And then it's like, okay, it's day 10, like there's 50 people. We're running out of supplies, we need more medical supplies, we have all these wounded and now dead. And then it got to the last maybe 10 people, And after that, the radio transmissions, they stopped. And I just remember hearing that story 
And even though it didn't really affect my life for a really long time, because I just, I didn't make this decision until I was around 25, 24, 25, and I heard this 15 years prior, it stuck with me. And I really think that that was God preparing me and preparing my heart and preparing me to have an open heart about people in foreign lands who, you know, they are calling and somebody needs to answer. And so when I went to college and when I went to this conference, I remember thinking about that story and thinking about my life and thinking about how I had been given this opportunity of a life. Why wouldn't I want to serve in this capacity if I could? You know, I can. Like, if somebody's going to do it, why not me? And that's really, I think, where it all began was simply God being like, Hey, do you want to get in on this? And I was like, not really, but sure. Like, why not? I mean, that's just, ultimately, it was absolutely uh, God's hand in my life and God who places passion in my heart. I'm sure you had trainings and orientations before you went overseas, maybe even after you arrived. Still, culture shock or situation shock, as some call it, is a real thing. What was your experience and how did you deal with homesickness, confusion, different foods, different climate, just all that change you experienced? This is, well, one of my favorite questions to answer, actually because I really see the opportunity for growth in this question <laughs> and like my own life, which had this opportunity of growth. So a lot of people do call it culture shock or, situa or situational shock. Um, and I would say it's more cultural stress because it is something that doesn't ever go away completely. You could live in a culture for however many years and you're still going to if it's not the culture that you grew up in and it's not the culture that you are used to, there's still going to be internal biases that you may not even be aware of that will cause you to have this cultural stress. And also the culture is stressful. Like if you don't grow up in a culture and especially if you don't speak the language, it's just stress. <laughs> it's just stressful. I had a really interesting experience with culture stress which there's kind of a cycle of it. You start out with a honeymoon where you're like, oh my goodness, this country is the best. Like, it's so much better than my home country because you're like, there's a reason why it's called the honeymoon stage. You're like in love and all these new experiences. Now, this isn't necessarily like true for everybody, but for me, I was super in the honeymoon stage the first time I went to this country in Asia. I was like head over heels. It was the love of my life. I was like, this country's amazing. I love it. And then by the end of my time there, the first time I went, which was in 2015, I was like, wow, this country has some flaws to it, which is what we call the disenchantment stage, where you kind of are waking up to the reality of like, oh my goodness. Yeah, maybe it's not perfect. 
That's after the honeymoon when the couple starts to have their first fight. <laughs> that's, I'm just kidding. But that's like you just opening your eyes to the reality that this is a country that has just as many problems as the country that you're from. And anyway, so when I went back in 2018, I didn't realize that I would still be in this disenchantment stage. And so immediately when I hit the ground in Asia, I was like, oh my goodness, what did I do? <laughs> like I flew 14 hours and I just feel like this was a big mistake. And then it didn't help that I was in a city which was huge and massive and people were speaking a language that I didn't know. And I immediately went into the rejection phase about a month into my time. And the rejection phase is can be resolved, but it's usually where you're just like, I don't want any of this. Like, I want to go home. Like, I want my own culture. Like, you just sort of are like shoving things away. And that was a really, really rough time for me. I spent about, I would say about mm, a month in the rejection phase, not super rejecting, but kind of really bitter in my heart about things. Like I was like, oh, God, I came here to serve you. I should be happy. Like not happy, but just not feeling like this, not having such a rough time. Like where did this love, like where did the love go? Not realizing, hey, this is, it's really funny because I, you know, I was an intercultural studies major. Like that was I studied that, I should have known, but that still didn't prepare me. And now I, you know, I had plenty of training. I was all prepared. There was nothing that I was lacking at all. It's just, that's how it is. Like culture stress is a real thing. And if we don't work at resolving it, which is going into the acceptance phase and we'll just be forever stuck in the rejection phase and you'll be bitter about living in a foreign country. Luckily for me, I really had the Lord's grace in helping me to get out of that rejection phase. And I also had my wonderful friends who I could talk openly with. Learning the language was also really helpful with that, even though that first month, that month in that city where I didn't speak any of the language, I learned pretty quickly how to listen. And I learned like what I could order and what I could eat. The food was great. Like I never, I, I always will love the food. It's so delicious. It's delicious. Even if the after effects aren't that <laughs> like pleasant, which is, is really like, if you work as like if you're an expat or you work overseas like you get pretty comfortable talking about bathroom stuff <laughs> just being just being a little tmi um but yeah the food was always great um even if what happened after wasn't uh which is also a part of culture stress where you're like why can't i eat anything without drama in my stomach anyway as i was saying how did i deal with that i think a lot of prayer a lot of a lot of humility too. I think some of the best things that we can do when we're engaging in a culture is to go in as learners. And oftentimes when we go in as these charity workers or global workers, we go in with this attitude of like, I have something to give to you. And that's really not the attitude that we should have when we're first approaching a new culture, especially. We should be going in as learners and trying to learn like, okay, like, you do this way differently than me, or you emphasize this way more than I would. 
So how can I understand why those are your values or those are your expectations? Because you have made the active choice to live in that culture. And this is so easy to say, but it's really difficult to do. So I'm not going to like harp on it. Like, But for me, that's really, I had to pull back, have a little bit of humility and a lot of prayer. And by the end of that month, I won't say that the culture stress went away. In fact, I would say for the first like four months, it was really hard. And it was just difficult also engaging mostly with the other foreigners. <laughs> I had no problem engaging with the, the people of that country. Um, because, but it was the foreigners that I was like, oh goodness, like I just feel like I'm running up against all these other different values than what I have. Um, so the first, I would say, four months were extraordinarily difficult, but I was able to move into that acceptance phase and remember my training and do a lot of prayer and soul searching and, and really like humbling myself. I think that that is the key to like, dealing with it you know, coping with culture stress is to be humble. Like, is just to realize that, no, this isn't your culture and the way that they do things aren't wrong. It's just different. <laughs> and also, you know, maybe if something's making you sick all the time when you eat it, no matter how delicious it is, maybe don't eat it. So that's just, I'm just kidding. You should definitely eat it. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how I handled all that. And the food, again, delicious. And even if you have issues, eat it, you know? You only live once. But then again, maybe don't eat it because you only live once, so... <laughs> Did you work with a team or were you on your own? And were you able to make friends with the locals? Yes, I did work with the team. And they were a wonderful group of individuals. Now, we definitely had some issues between us because we're all human. But we were able to resolve those because we were humble and put each other... And, well, actually, we put the Lord first, I would say. Like, the team that I was with was very intentional about relational development with not just the nationals, but also within each, like, with each other. So we would have gathering, like, we would gather, and we would um, just really try to connect with each other. We'd have dinner together. We would have Christmas together. We became, like, a family. And there was, like, a while there that it was really rough to fit me in, I will admit, because they had been together for about three years at this point. And so I felt a little bit like, whoa, who am I <laughs> to come into this? It's a little awkward. It's like, you know, the newborn sibling, you know, like, you know, you bring in a baby and I was the baby and I was kind of useless for a while. <laughs> like, I wasn't useless, but I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I had to rely a lot on them. And there was also a time when I was by myself, but for the most part, I worked with a team and they were awesome. And I absolutely have learned how to be a better person and how to be a better teammate because of them. And while unfortunately I can't work with them for about probably a year just due to the circumstances of the world right now, I will excitedly go back to work with them again 
They're amazing. Um, I also got to make friends with a lot of the nationals, which is just wonderful. The people who were in also in my language school with me, I was able to make friends with them. And we were all a part of the expat community together. And expat just means expatriate. For those who don't know, it just means somebody who goes and lives in a country that's not their passport country, basically. Um, so I was able to develop like real relationships with these people because of the nature of my job, I, I couldn't be open with everything. But the relationships that I did develop were all about living life together. They were expressing like, hey, like what's going on with you? How can I be praying for you? Like, be, I am a Christian, so I'm, you know, like if you want to talk to me, I'd be happy to pray for you. Can I pray with you? And this happened with people who I went to school with um, or the nationals that I made friends with. And I had such an amazing experience making friends with the nationals. Like I would, like I would teach them English. And then every night after class, we would walk oh, like the 10, 20 minutes it was to my house. Well, not my house, but the place where I lived. And we would just chat. And those were my most favorite moments. Like outside of the classroom when I wasn't teaching, when I could just either eat fruit with them or <laughs> I would walk with them. And we would just have like some amazing conversations. And I have two very good friends, and I won't say their names, but we became so close. And I felt like I could talk to them about anything. And they were both believers. And they really encouraged me a lot. And one was older and one was younger than me. And yet they both had this wisdom that was just so beautiful to share with me. And I felt that we were all peers, um, all equals, and we all had this passion for the Lord. And so I really, I look back on those friendships that I made with, I mean, longing. I long to go back and and be with them. And I still keep in contact with them. Like I text one of my best friends there like once every couple months just because both of our schedules can be really hectic despite the, you know, matters of the world. But, and we share, we exchange a lot of language, <laughs> like practice because he wants to learn English more and I want to learn his language more. And so we just talk to each other and have that exchange. And that's also a great opportunity as well. Like the language exchange between people because you have something that they want and they have something that I want, we're able to develop this relationship. And what might start out with a partnership of like, okay, you teach me this and I'll teach you that becomes like a, hey, you know, I just learned that I, I got fired from my job. Could you pray for me? Or like one of my classmates, I got to sit down with her and we just talked about her marriage. Like she wasn't even having issues really with her marriage, but she just wanted to, somebody to talk to about like missing her husband who was away on business and she's here in this foreign country. And I was like, what an amazing opportunity. And she and I actually, I got, I got to take her to, you know, listen to the word. And that was so cool. It was such a, a beautiful opportunity. And I just want to stress here, like I... I'm very passionate about 
people coming to know the Lord. But even more than that, like if I promise I'm going to do a service or like serve you in some way, I want to do it holistically. I'm not just there to be like, to convert, convert, convert. These are real relationships. They are not a project. Like they help me just as much as I help them. Like these relationships, I will remember years and years and years from now because that's how much I love them and I care about them. I don't just see them as like a boom, dunk and done, you know, like that is not it at all, which I can't dunk anyway, but um, just because of the uh, rules of the country, they're like no dunking allowed for you personally, which is fine. I'm good with that. They can get dunked by someone else. But the point is, all that to say, (laughs) is that these are real relationships. And I think sometimes we can go into these relationships with this idea that we're supposed to like fix them or give them something and and honestly like it is just an exchange of of knowledge and then it's also a true friendship and i think that that's how it should be some of my best memories are spending time with these people and sitting down with them and like hearing their stories and getting to share mine because what a beautiful exchange what a, that is life, like that's the beauty of living alongside of people. And that's really what discipleship and relationship building is all about. It's not just a say this prayer and we're done. It's a real, true, committed relationship that's not looking at it like a project, but instead looking at it like a relationship. And so I feel like I got a little preachy there, but basically <laughs> I just had such a great time formulating these relationships and I miss them and I can't wait to go back I'm like so excited but also at the same time I'm excited for these other opportunities that I have to develop other relationships what did you learn from the experience Um, do you feel like it changed you in any way I feel like it fundamentally changed who I am in so many ways that it's hard to identify. Before I went the first time, I was a 25-year-old who had never even been outside of the country and thought that she could never learn another language (laughs) because I had taken three years of high school Spanish and all I could remember was like, hola. And even then, it was pretty bad. <laughs> like, So I, I think that it grew me in many ways, and it changed me to my core, like really shaped a lot of who I am today. And some of it is good, and some of it is, well, still working on it. <laughs> uh, my experience in working with people from other cultures as well as um, just working in a different country, I would say it's really made me, it's made me a more humble person, but saying that is like, I'm a, I'm a humble person now. It's like, no, it's not very humble to say, but I would say that it's definitely grown me in humility and, you know, I'm not always right about things. I also would say that it's helped me to understand people better and really put others before myself. I think that when I was there for those first four months, 
it when you're experiencing any sort of stress or any sort of trauma and in fact moving overseas is a traumatic experience i don't know people know that but it is i mean it's a it's a chosen trauma but it's still a trauma especially if you're moving into a place which nobody knows you you don't have any family and nobody speaks your language and everything is just so different it is a trauma Um, And when you're experiencing that stress and when you're experiencing a trauma, people tend to fold into themselves a lot of the time as a protect, it's like a protection, you know? I remember the first four months I was there, I was really, really protective of myself and my heart. And I wish now, even though looking back, and I might be a little too hard on myself, I wish I had been less so, if that makes sense. Um, Like now I'm more open to being more relaxed around people, even if I don't know them that well, because what a gift it is to, to meet new people. Like, oh my goodness, like God made you? That's so cool. Like, let me get to know you. Like, God like specifically designed you as a person? How awesome. Like, what a wonderful opportunity to engage with the creativity of the Lord. Oh, so cool. And I think that that really is what changed me is that I stopped looking at people as I don't want to say like I looked at people like they were the enemy or they were out to get me I I've never really thought that I've always kind of loved people but I was able to look at them more truthfully through the eyes of God and uh, rather than the eyes of my own cultural experience and my own even like like ethnic racial experience my own like state the state that I live in my own socio demographic <laughs> or whatever I was able to grow a lot in the way that I saw people. And so I think because of that, that changed me. And I was able to try to understand people better and rather than react in this negative fashion of assuming the worst or assuming that if something is different than the way I would do it, that it's wrong. I started to really grow and say, you know, it's not wrong, it's just different. And I would say it also made me more sure of myself which is kind of odd because I've always been kind of an indecisive person but now more than ever I feel like I know who I am and I know what I believe and I know what I want and that's not to say that I don't still you know panic when I'm at the drive-thru and I'm like oh gosh what did I well, I was gonna order something, <laughs> like, like, I still do, you know, I'm still pretty indecisive. If somebody asks me, like, what do you want to eat? I'll be like, I don't know, what do you want? But all of those jokes aside, I know what I'm meant to do. I know it as if it's, I know my own name. It's like this, this perfect fit. It's that missing puzzle piece that you just, now I'm not gonna say, that this is, because if there's one thing that 2020 has taught me, nothing is for certain. And I'm not going to say for certain that this is something that God wants me to do. Um, but I feel assured that as long as I'm in his hands and doing his will, that I'll be all right. Like, n- I'm not even talking about like, all right, as in like, I'm never going to have any problems ever again. Or, you know, I could die tomorrow. But that would be God's will. And so being self-assured while also being God-assured is a balance. (laughs) Like, you know, I try to be assured that I believe I know what I'm supposed to do, but I also go to the Lord and I'm like, hey, 
could you double check this list that, you know, yeah, you sent me this list and I received it and I read it and I just want to double check with you that we're good, right? Like, you know, double, triple check. It has changed me as a person. I think it's matured me, but also made me a lot less mature, <laughs> like less serious, <laughs> you know, taking life less seriously. Life is just a bundle of change. It is consistently inconsistent. And if there's one thing that I can rely on is that there's nothing to rely on <laughs> except for God, uh, which sounds cheesy, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. So I would say fundamentally, I trust the Lord more now, despite how I sometimes am just like, yeah, but are you sure, Lord, that you don't want me to do this? Like, I, you're a really busy guy. Like, I can take this. I can take this off your hands. Like, let me do it, Lord. But it's actually more now. I'm like, all right, it's not my job. It's your job, Lord. You got this. It's not that I'm complacent, but I just know my boundaries when it comes to the Lord. Like, he's got this. He's got all the stuff, not just the big stuff. He's also got my waking in the morning. I can't open my eyes without him being like, hey, time to wake up. Let's go. <sighs> but now I'm being a little dramatic. But I mean, it's true that faith and trust and then also independence is it's a hard thing to balance. What can you say, if anything, about the country you hope to work in next year? So the country that I'm hoping to work in next year is so different than the country that I have been working in and been involved with for like the last five years. Even though I haven't been on the ground in five years, I have been actively involved with uh, it, in that country for five years. So it's a bit of a change, <laughs> like, you know, for one, I, I don't have to learn a new language to function there, which is kind of crazy. And also, there's going to be, it's going to be smaller, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. It's going to be a lot smaller, even though the, the city that I'm going to is the population of the state that I live in currently. It is about one-tenth of the population of the city that I used to live in, which is crazy. But I'm excited to go work there because I get to work among the same demographic and use my language skills as well as other skills which I have developed while working on the field. It's going to be different, I think, because I am going to look like the people of that country that I'm going to. And so I'm not going to be like sticking out like a sore thumb, which is what I did when I worked in Asia. <laughs> So I think it's going to take some getting used to, to be in a foreign land and not have everybody like staring at you when you walk down the street. I'm not going to say that that's, you know, better, but I definitely don't miss having my picture taken by everyone. And it's not really true. I'm being a little exaggerating, but I did probably have my picture taken once or twice a day while living in Asia by strangers and I don't know what they did with it. Probably just were like, hey, look at her and she's got a big nose. I know. Thank you. I appreciate it. Her nose is so tall. Thank you. I love. Thank you. So that'll be a, it'll be different. It, it's just going to be different. But what a, what an opportunity to go and serve and still the people that I feel called to serve and to utilize what 
God has taught me through not just the last the last five years or that that time that I spent on the field, but also during this last year of 2020. It's just going to be really great. The country that I'm going to is unique in itself. It's much like the country I worked in Asia, except for the country I worked in Asia hasn't is not had any real significant religious influence like the country I'm going to now. The country I'm going to now was permeated with religious influence and significance like hardcore. And they just have it deep within their country's history. But unfortunately, they are now a post-Christian society, like a post-religious society even, pretty much. But then there's also all these other influences. And so it's going to be interesting not just working with the people who are expats like myself, but they're from other countries, and the people, the, the people of the country that I served before being in this new country, it's also going to be engaging with the nationals who have grown up in this post-Christian society. And so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, again, all about relational development. And it's going to be a different culture in terms of temperature, like the temperature of a culture um, where I was working before. It was, I would say it's more warm and accepting. Like they're can't tell you how many times I got invited over for dinner and had great food and and okay food (laughs) and no is great food but you know I'm you know I'm me so they made the great food my taste buds were just lacking Um, but this new culture that I'm going into this new country that I'm going into is more of a cold culture and so it's going to take longer to develop these relationships so it's going to be exciting I'm excited for the challenge I'm excited for the opportunity and I'm a little nervous and you know they're so vastly different but ultimately the one thing I've learned is no matter where you're from people are people and we have a lot more in common than we have different and you'd be surprised at how much we have in common just because something's named differently it doesn't mean that that's not the same experience that they're having you know the same human emotions the same longing and the same needs. It's all about that holistic care, no matter where you are, because we're all humans. We all have a need for social, emotional, mental, and physical, and and spiritual, most of all needs that we can attend to, like we can, t- we can engage with. So I'm excited. Uh, the differences, a lot. The similarities, even more. Isn't that cool? We're living in a time where human relations are tested more than ever. There's more that we have in common than what separates us. And so, if I could just add (laughs) this one last thought, is that don't look at a person as different, or, or don't look at the person as wrong, look at them as different. Look at them as having a different life experience than you and try to understand their perspective and also share yours and engage being a listener. Being a listener is probably the most important lesson that I've taken away from the last 30 years of my life. It's just listening and asking questions. Ask a lot of questions, listen a lot, and 
I think if we just listened more and talked less, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, be a better world. And that's not just engaging relationships overseas, but also within our own backyard. Thank you so much, Marie. It's just been fascinating. And um, we are looking forward to just hearing your new experiences when you finally get to that new land across the ocean. Thank you for having me. Listeners, if you'd like to partner with Marie, you can do that one of two ways. You can call 208-562-1592 or you can write to story at beckyliles.com That's S-T-O-R-Y at B-E-C-K-Y-L-Y-L-E-S dot com. I will add that that's our phone number, not Marie's phone number. And um, yes, it'd be great if you could partner with her to support her as she ventures off on another opportunity to help people. So with that, I will say thanks so much for listening. And remember, you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckyliles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.